We are in week two of our sermon series called Long Story Short. And uh, last week, so what we're doing in this series, we're taking seven weeks and we're going through the main story of the whole Bible. So obviously there's a lot of stuff that we're not going to be able to hit because seven weeks, you can't cover the whole Bible. And last week, you're thinking that was especially true because we didn't get far at all in week one. We got through the first half of Genesis. And so you're thinking, well, there's 66 books, and we got through half in one week, and you're doing the math, and there's no way we're going to get it done in seven weeks. But we're going to pick up the pace next week. <laughs> this week, we're going to cover the rest of Genesis and the first part of Exodus. Um, there are just, there's a lot of human history that's covered in these books of the Bible. And so I wanted us to go through the kind of the whole story of the Bible, because there are storylines weaved throughout the whole Bible. And I think that helps us when we're reading our Bible and when we're reading at home and we're saying, well, I'm reading this part. I don't know what this part is. I don't even know what they're talking about. Um, you hear about the nation of Israel. You hear about Egypt. You hear about, you know, David and all these things. Where does that fit? You know, why was there one kingdom? And then I'm reading and then there's two kingdoms. And I thought it was Israel, but now they're calling it Judah. And I'm so confused. All these things, we're going to kind of cover all of them. Last week, we started with creation. And uh, we'll treat this like a movie or uh, like a TV episode. Last week, or last week on Long Story Short, God created everything. And then he decided to have a relationship. Not decided. He, want, he did this to have a relationship with his people. And so we covered from creation, Adam and Eve, through Noah and the ark, and up to Abraham. And God appeared to Abraham, and he said, Abraham, I want to have a people I want through you and your descendants to have a great nation, a great people that I will have this covenant relationship with. And this is the start of the nation of Israel. This is the start of the Jewish people, the Jewish faith that we talked about last week. This is what happened. So where we left off, God is the creator. We are made in his image to have a relationship with him. And that relationship is broken because of a bad combination of our sin and God's holiness those two things can't be together, ever. Our sin and God's perfect holiness, God could not be holy if he was okay with our sin. And so there's this broken relationship. And since then, God has been working on redemption. God, in the Old Testament, provided ways for mankind to be redeemed. Ultimately, we know that Jesus Christ came and was the ultimate redemption once and for all. But God established this relationship with Abraham said, I'm going to have a covenant with you, and you'll be the father of a great nation and a great people, and I will be with you, and I will be with those people. Have faith in me and obey my commands, and I'll be with you, I will provide for you, and I will protect you. This was God's covenant relationship with the Israel people, with the Israeli people in the Old Testament. This was the covenant. And we see God made similar covenants with Adam and Eve, with Noah, always designed to restore that relationship. So last week we left off with Abraham finally having a son and trusting in God's promise, and that promise was Isaac. So this week we're going to pick it up from there. Now, we've talked a lot in church about, um, you've heard me refer to the time when the Israelites were slaves in Egypt, and God delivered them out of slavery in Egypt, and God delivered them through the Red Sea, and Moses led them into freedom, into the promised land. So we know that's coming. But yet we have this nation of Israel starting with Abraham and Isaac. So how in the world did they go from where they were living to becoming slaves in Egypt? Well, that's the ground that we are covering today. How did they end up as slaves in Egypt? And so we're going to go through a few details of the story. These are all found in the second half of the book of Genesis. 
Um, and as we do that, as we're about to dive in, let's pray together as we start this time. Lord, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for your story that you weave throughout Scripture. It points to Jesus. It is a, a redemption story of you and your people that you love and you bringing redemption to them and you providing for them. And we thank you today that we are part of that same story, that you continue to redeem us and bring redemption to us. And you continue to involve us in your story, and we thank you for that. So, Lord, be with me as I, as I communicate today. May your word ring true in hearts. May good seeds be planted today in people's hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. So Isaac, Abraham had Isaac. Isaac had two sons, Jacob and Esau. Jacob, even though he was the younger son, he gets the birthright from his brother. He tricks his brother or convinces his brother to give him the birthright. And he even tricks his father into giving him the blessing that was normally given to the firstborn or to the oldest. And as a result, Esau, the older brother, is quite upset with his younger brother. Okay, let me, um, oh, you know what? I see everyone looking on the screen. We have uh, the timelines. Did everyone grab a timeline, or do we have any of those? Did anyone see those? Do we have an usher here? There's no ushers. There must be something going on. <laughs> oh, I see them running now. <laughs> All right, so what we did, sorry, I forgot about this. It was in my notes. What we did is we printed out, Grant, can you put on, there we go. You can't see that, but that's like a timeline that we made up. So if you would like one of these, we gave those out. Put your hands up. Anyone want a timeline? Put your hands up. Put your hands up if you, uh, that was my thing. And wave them, put your hands in the air and wave them like you would like a timeline. All right, so this is kind of the old, this is actually the history of Scripture. You can keep those as a reference. We'll keep handing these out. Um, this is actually a good kind of study guide that we put together just to say, okay, well, this fits here, this fits here. So we're going to, uh, so next slide, Grant, you can throw that up there. That's kind of where we are. We're still at the very beginning. Again, we're going to pick up the pace, I promise you. Okay, so we see that after Noah, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Jacob had two sons, as a, as a result of, oh, now I've lost you all. You're all looking at the piece of paper. As a result of Jacob tricking his brother, Esau, Esau is very upset. And Jacob thinks, I got to get out of here. Jacob flees. And while he's away, Jacob grows up. He gets married and he gets wealthy. He prospers. And God appears to him in Genesis chapter 28. Again, we are flying through a lot of details here. But God appears to Jacob and he says these words, Jacob, I'm the God of your fathers, Isaac and Abraham. And you'll see this throughout the Old Testament. It's like God's way of reminding people, hey, I'm the God of your forefathers, Abraham, Isaac, soon it would be Jacob. You know, what God is saying is, I'm the same God that made the covenant to Abraham. He said that to Isaac. Isaac, I'm the God of your father Abraham. That covenant that I made with him is the same with you. He's saying the same thing to Jacob. Jacob, I'm the same God as was with your father Isaac and with your grandfather Abraham. So he calls him in Genesis chapter and Genesis 28. I'm the God of your father, Abraham and Isaac. My covenant with them is the same as my covenant with you, and you are going to be the father of a great nation. So it's time to go back home, face your brother, face the music, because there's things that I want to do. And not only that, I'm changing your name from Jacob to Israel. Now Jacob would be known as Israel. You'll see him referred to as both, which is kind of confusing at times. But Jacob, and when you see someone refer to Israel, that's the same person. God changed his name to Israel, and thus... The nation of Israel was born. Jacob would go on to have 12 sons. 
And years and years and generations later, when, when the Israelites would settle in the promised land, they settled into, tw- they had 12 tribes. Those 12 tribes were after the descendants of Jacob's 12 sons. Jacob was Israel, the father of Israel, and his 12 sons became the leaders of the 12 tribes of Israel. All right, so that's some details that we're going through. Jacob settles back home. Um, he has reconciliation with his brother Esau. His name is changed to Israel. The nation of Israel is born. Now, one of Jacob's 12 sons is Joseph. One of those sons was Joseph. And Joseph was his father's favorite. And maybe you know the story of Joseph. Joseph gets preferential treatment. Everybody knows he's his father's favorite. His father gives him a, an amazing Technicolor dream coat, right? Joseph and his coat. Joseph goes on to have musicals named after him. And there are no other brothers that have musicals named after him. You know, Issachar never had, there was nothing, you know, not, maybe off-Broadway or something really small, but nothing named after any of the other brothers. They get preferential treatment. Joseph also has dreams. And Joseph has this God-given ability, which will come to him later, where he has dreams. God speaks to him through dreams. And he has a dream one night of his brothers all bowing down before him. Um, so... I have a brother. I have an older brother. His name is Bob. He's awesome. We had, you know, it was a typical brother's relationship. I knew early on things that I would tell my brother and expect good results from. Telling him, one day, you're going to bow down and worship me, that would never be one of the things I would tell my brother. You never want to tell your brothers that, especially if you're the favorite son with your Technicolor dream coat. You never would tell your brothers, hey, one day you're going to bow down to me. Because he tells his brothers this. God spoke to me in a dream. And one day, all of you older brothers who already don't like me, you're going to bow down to me. So they get really, really upset. That's it. They've had it. They can't handle enough of their little brother. And so they want to kill him. But instead, they decide, you know what? We could make some money off of this. So instead of killing him, let's tell our father he died. But instead, let's sell him. Let's sell him to some people. And so there's Midianite traders that come by, and they sell Joseph to him. And the Midianites take Joseph as their property. They purchased him, and they take him to Egypt, where they sell him to Potiphar's house as a slave. So at this point, the Israelites, this is their first stop in Egypt. We know that they're going to be a slave nation someday. Well, this is where that all begins. Joseph gets sold to Potiphar's house in Egypt as a slave. Now, some other, this could be like a whole future series sometime, the life of Joseph. It's an amazing story of God blessing, of Joseph being faithful. And we'll talk a little bit about that today. But Genesis chapters 37 through 45 are kind of the story of Joseph, an amazing story. You should read those chapters. But I wanted to read a little bit after that, a part of that, in Genesis 39, 1 through 6. If you have a Bible, you can turn there. That's where we're going to start today. Well, not start. We've been started for a while. Um, Genesis chapter 39, verses 1 through 6. And this is kind of where um, you kind of get a synopsis of what God is doing in Joseph as he is in Potiphar's house as a slave. So I'm going to read those. They'll be up on the screen. It says this, Genesis 39, verse 1. Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Potiphar, an Egyptian who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, so Potiphar's an important dude, brought him or bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. 
The Lord was with Joseph. And I want you to remember that. The Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered, and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. When his master saw that the Lord was with him and all that the Lord, um, and all that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household. He entrusted to his care everything he owned. From the time he put him in charge of his household and all that he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in his house and in his field. So Potiphar left everything in Joseph's care. With Joseph in charge, he did not concern himself with anything except the food that he ate. We're going to stop there before we move on a little bit. Those words, those, that situation that Joseph was in, he's a slave. He's been sold to Potiphar. And yet the thing that God says is, it says that God was with him. God was with him so that he prospered. He was blessed in everything that he did. No matter the circumstance, this is a big point today, and I want you to get this. No matter the circumstance you are in, our relationship with God is the most important. Amen? Somebody nod at me? Our relationship with God is the most important. No matter the circumstance... His presence with us never changes. His desire for us is to be faithful to him in every situation. He wants to bless us, as he did Joseph, in every situation. Notice that Joseph's faithfulness to God wasn't dependent on his circumstance. Joseph was faithful, and God blessed him, even as a slave. And that speaks to the power of being a person of integrity today. Being a person of integrity, Potiphar wasn't worried about anything in his whole house, field, family, anything. Because he knew Joseph was in charge, he knew God was with Joseph, and he had full trust in Joseph's integrity. So I'm going to ask you this. Do you want things to go well for you in your relationships, in your family, in your marriage, in your career, in all of those things? This story of Joseph just speaks so highly to God is with you no matter what, and if you will be faithful to him, if you will be a person of integrity, it will go well for you. God is going to bless that. Other people around you, you think that friendships that you have in your family, in with your kids, with your spouse, with your boss, or with your employees, if you are known as a person of integrity, that people are going to look at you with favor. They're going to say, yeah, I trust him. That's going to go well for you. If in relationships, if you find that you're around people, it's just drama and conflict all the time. If you find that you are a person of integrity and other people know that, things are going to go well for you in your friendships, in your relationships. This could be even in middle school, high school. If you're just known as someone as a person of integrity, someone who's honest, someone who is true, someone who people can trust, things are going to go well for you. This speaks so highly to that, that Joseph was just somebody who could be trusted. And Potiphar trusted him, put him in charge of everything. And notice one other thing here. Joseph starts as a slave. He doesn't use that as an excuse to not honor God. He says, I'm going to honor you, God, no matter what, I, what position I'm in. But there's something that happens here. As he is blessed by God, God's blessing doesn't just affect him. It affects Potiphar's whole house. Everything in Potiphar's house goes well because of Joseph's faithfulness. Your obedience to God and your faithfulness to God will not just affect you for the good. It will affect those around you. Okay? Amen? So let's just say, parents, your faithfulness to God, your obedience to God, 
is not going to just bring blessing to you. It's going to bless your family. Your kids are going to reap the blessings of your faithfulness to God. That's how it works. When we offer God everything, he blesses us, and it just doesn't affect us. It affects our families. It can affect your whole workplace. If you own a company or run a company or even if you have bosses and authorities, God's blessing will affect those around you. That's what we see here. There is something about the fruit of God's work in your life that has impact to the world around you. I experienced this. Maybe many of you are in the same situation. My father and mother, great Christian believers, great people, I am experiencing the blessings of growing up in their home. There was a lot of things that were... I don't know, they would be blessings from God simply because of my parents' faithfulness. Same for my grandparents, both sides. Christie's parents, Christie's grandparents. We reap the blessings of faithfulness of those who went before us. That's leaving a legacy of faith for those who come after you. And we are reaping the benefits of that. And now we get to hand that down to our kids. And someday they're going to tell their kids, hey, it's not just me. It was my, my parents, their parents, their parents. Do you see what I'm saying? Your faithfulness to God is going to have an impact on you and it will have an impact on others for generations. This is what it is to be faithful to God. So back to Joseph. All these things are going well. Potiphar sees that God's with him. He puts him in charge of everything. But unfortunately, Potiphar's wife... Um, she's got the hots for Joseph, okay? So she's got the googly eyes for Joseph. She makes a move. Joseph, who's an person of integrity, he says, nope, sorry, Mrs. Potiphar, um, I can't do that, runs away. Potiphar's wife makes an accusation against Joseph, a false accusation. Potiphar hears about this. Potiphar hears that Joseph actually made a move on his wife. After all that I've given you, after all the freedom I've given you, even though it was a false accusation, that is what happened. So Potiphar loses his mind and throws Joseph in prison. So Joseph has now gone from being father's favorite to being sold into slavery to rising up to being basically second in command to Potiphar's house to being falsely accused. Now he's thrown in prison. It's a bit of a roller coaster ride for Joseph. Again, when you read this, you see the same words. It says, when he was in prison, God was with Joseph, and he prospered in everything he did. He was faithful. Even in prison, he was faithful to God, so much so that the warden put Joseph in charge of the prison. So if I'm a prisoner and the warden puts me in charge, first thing I'm going to do is say, I decree that I should be set free, you know, something like that. But that's not what happens. Joseph is faithful. He serves, and God blesses him. And this is the choice, again, that we always have. Everything may be outside of your control. Circumstances may be swirling around you. You may have been treated unfairly by somebody. You may have been falsely accused of something. Maybe someone's spreading rumors about you. Someone is, is um, hindering your advancement at work unfairly. But the choice we always have with all of those things that are outside of our control, what is always in our control is this. We have a choice whether or not to be faithful to God right? Our relationship with him, we have that choice to do the right thing, to be a person of integrity, to worship and give thanks to God, to never allow our circumstance to be a reason why we refuse to worship God. Our worship should never be, God, you haven't done enough for me lately, so I'm not even going to raise my hands in church. No, it is no matter what. We have the choice to honor God in our faithfulness to him, and we will see that he is with us even in the midst of unfair circumstances, even in the midst of all of those things that can happen to us. We know 100% that God is with us, and our choice is always to be faithful to him or to not. That's the choice we always have. The choice we always have. Will I be faithful to God 
or will I not? Will we be faithful to him only when we're prospering or also when we are slaves, accused, in prison, when we are forgotten? Because I look at Joseph in the midst of these circumstances, what other choice did he have, right? What other choice did he have? All he had was a choice to honor God, to stay faithful to him, and he did. So eventually, after two years, Pharaoh, the ruler of Egypt, is having these disturbing dreams. Someone who was with Joseph in prison, because there was times where Joseph was interpreting dreams in prison. Someone, two years later, Joseph waited in prison for two years. Someone says, hey, I was in prison with a guy who interpreted dreams. Pharaoh, maybe he could help you out. So they go find Joseph in prison, and they drag him out, and they bring him to Pharaoh. said, Pharaoh's having these dreams. You need to interpret these dreams. And so he says, well, tell me what the dream is. And God speaks to Joseph and through Joseph, and Joseph interprets Pharaoh's dreams. And what the dream meant was this. Joseph said, Pharaoh, for seven years, there's going to be amazing blessing in Egypt. There's going to be more crops and more harvest than you know what to do with. But then the following seven years are going to be an amazing famine, an incredible drought, unlike anything you've ever seen. So what I suggest is that you prepare during the seven years of bounty for the seven years of famine. And Pharaoh says, I like that idea, and puts Joseph in charge of that whole effort. In fact, puts Joseph in charge of the whole nation of Israel, second in command only to him. So now the roller coaster ride is doing this for Joseph, and now he's back on top, right? And again, he is still faithful to God. Joseph is released, put in charge of Egypt, and famine, after seven years, famine strikes Egypt. But because of Joseph's faithfulness and wise practices and just being a person of integrity, Egypt is prepared. They've got storehouses full of grain and and wheat and crops and everything they would need. They are prepared for this amazing famine that happened. But what happened is this famine didn't just strike Egypt. It struck back home where Joseph's brothers all were still living. And Joseph's family, his brothers and his father, Jacob, they're running out of food. They don't know what to do. So they say, we got to, I've heard there's food in Egypt. We got to go to Egypt and find out. So they all come to Egypt and they want to find the guy in charge. And it's Joseph, only they don't know it's Joseph. It's a great story. You got to read it. Joseph sees his brothers coming, the one that sold him into slavery. They're coming. And what do they do? They bow down in humility to Joseph. Joseph's like, I told you you were going to do that. You thought my dream was crazy, but I told you this was going to happen. No, he didn't say that. He plays it really cool. He tricks them. It's a great story. We don't have time to go into all those details. But long story short, there's a big restoration between Joseph and his brothers. His father rejoices hearing that his favorite son, Joseph, was still alive. And as a result of there being food in Egypt... Jacob and all his sons and all their wives and all their family members, they settle in Egypt. So now the nation of Israel, even though at this time the people that moved there was maybe 100 people, 150 people, they are now settling in Egypt. And they are in Egypt and things are going well. The Israelites prosper in Egypt for about 100 years. But this is where the book of Genesis ends. Okay, The Israelites have settled there and Joseph dies at the end of Genesis And the Israelites continue to go on in Egypt, and they prosper. But about 100 years after that, it goes bad when a new ruler comes into power in Egypt, and he sees all these Israeli people, all the Israelites, as a threat because God is with them. God is prospering them. They are multiplying. They are growing. They're numerous. Everything they do prospers because God is with them. So the new ruler of Egypt sees them as a threat and says, we need to turn them into slaves or they're going to take over. 
In fact, they have a plan to kill off all the firstborn sons. All the, any boy that's born, they want to kill him because that will weed out the population of Israel. So instantly, Israel goes from being preferred and, and loving life in Egypt to now all of a sudden they are a slave race and they are mistreated and they are treated harshly. And the Israelites, they cry out to God. And you can read this in the start of the book of Exodus. They cry out to God. And Moses, who grew up in this slavery, this is where we're introduced to the character of Moses in our story. We're moving on. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, and now we're talking about Moses. God calls Moses to do something about this. And we're going to read that in Exodus chapter 3. If you have your Bible, you can turn to Exodus 3. We're going to wrap up here in a few minutes. So all of this is happening. The Israelites are now slaves in Egypt. Moses, who is on the run for various reasons, he killed an Egyptian and now he's on the run. God calls him and he's going to call him to go do something about this slavery in Egypt. In verse 1 of Exodus chapter 3, it says this. I'm going to read verse 1 through 10. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro. This is what he was doing while he was on the run. His father-in-law, the priest of Midian, And he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. And Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight. Why did the bush not burn up? When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. And then he said, I am the Father, I am the God of your Father. Here's these words again, right? We see him doing this again to Moses. Same thing he did to Joseph, to Jacob, to Isaac, and to Abraham. He said, Then he said, I am the God of your Father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt, and I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them out of the land into a good and spacious land. This is fulfilling the promise that he made to Abraham hundreds of years before this. A land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites, and now... The cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So this is what he says to Moses. So now go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. That's where we're going to wrap up today. God is calling Moses to bring the people out of Egypt. He reminds him, I'm the same God that made that covenant to your forefathers, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. I'm the same God. I'm the same God who's calling now you to do your part. I have a call on your life. You're going to go to Pharaoh, and through your words to Pharaoh, I'm going to bring freedom to the Israelites. So I'm going to wrap it up with kind of two main points of what we've read today, what we covered today. And sorry, this might be kind of a whirlwind, all these names and and details, but here's where we're going to settle today on these two points. First one is this. What we see in the Israelites during their stay in Egypt was this, that they were faithful to God. They were faithful to God. They didn't fall into idol worship. They didn't start um, taking on the immorality of the Egyptian people. They stayed true to God. Even when they became slaves 
they stayed faithful to God. They still cried out to God. They still acknowledged, God, you are our source. You are the one who can bring deliverance. They stayed true to God. They stayed faithful to God. They sought after him. They honored God. They were devoted even in the difficult times. This sounds a lot like Joseph, who even when he was sold into slavery, even when he was falsely accused and imprisoned, he stayed faithful to God. That was the choice that he made. Faithfulness did not waver in the hard times and was not dependent on their circumstances. This is what we see in the Israelites. And so what I observe today in our faith is that often that works the same way with us, where it's in the difficult times that we recognize we need God, right? Sometimes it's when we are going through the hardest thing. That's when our prayer life all of a sudden comes alive because we realize all these other things that I had put my faith in, they've all let me down. All I've got left is God. I'm going to look to him. Sometimes it's in the hardest times, right? Have you experienced that? I've experienced that where it's in the difficult times that we turn to God. It's in the difficult times that we put our faith and our trust in God. And remember, yes, God, you are our everything that I need. And perhaps this is why God allows us to go through difficult seasons. Because he knows that's often the thing that's going to bring us back to him. But here's what we see with the Israelites, with Joseph, everything we've talked about today. And here's what I want us to get in this first point is this. Whatever the circumstance, our choice is to stay faithful to God. And we know that God is at work in all the circumstances we're going through. Look at the, just what God did when his brothers beat him up and sold him to the Midianites. And they sold him to Potiphar. God's thinking like generations later he's going to need someone in Egypt to do all of these things. God is at work in all of these details. You can see that in this story, and I want you to recognize that in your life. God is at work in the circumstances, even the bad ones. God is at work. He is working on your behalf. He is at work bringing about his plan of redemption. So we can trust him in the dark times. We can trust him in the difficult circumstances, right? I want you to get that. We can trust him. Our choice today is to stay faithful to him. That's what we can do in every circumstance. And the second point is this. All of these people that God are using, if you read these stories, I'm not covering a lot of the details. I'm covering a few of them. All of these people that God are using are deeply flawed people, right? If you read these stories, they are flawed people. God is definitely not looking around like trying to set up an all-star team from these people. He's, he's not looking around saying, give me the strongest or the brightest or the best or the most powerful. God's using these people who are, have messed up. Right? They have done some things. They have messed up. I want, I'm pointing that out to say to you today that God specializes in just using ordinary people, using people like you and me, using people who are simply willing to stay faithful to him, simply willing to obey, who are willing to honor God in every circumstance. This is what God does. Look at Abraham. Abraham, God appeared to Abraham and said, you're going to have a son. Even though you and your wife are super old, I'm going to provide for you an heir, and that heir is going to go on, and you're going to have so many descendants that there's going to be a great nation of people. Abraham hears this but thinks, there's no way that's going to happen. I'm super old. My wife is super old. I know how this works. That's not going to happen. So Abraham gets in his own mind, I know how to do God's work for him, and sleeps with a, maid, with a maidservant, and she gets pregnant. And God's like, no, 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 see, that's not the plan. That wasn't the plan. You're supposed to trust me and wait for the promise to be fulfilled. That's what Abraham does. Jacob, we talked a little bit about him. He's conniving to get what he wants, tricks his brother to get the birthright. Moses, 
Moses, right after God calls him, Moses goes on to say, yeah, God, I think you got the wrong guy. Is essentially what he says. There, someone else would be better. I don't talk good. Um, I'm not good in front of people. I'm not bold. I kind of clam up. So if you're looking for someone to march into Pharaoh and declare these things, I'm not your guy. He tries to talk God out of it. That's how capable Moses was, right? There's a story in the midst of the, of the Genesis story of Joseph. In, ch- in chapter 38, there's the story of Judah and Tamar. Judah was one of Joseph's brothers. Tamar was one of uh, Judah's daughter-in-laws. Tamar's husband dies, and she doesn't have a son. And so in that time, having a son was very important. Having an heir was very important. So she tricks her father-in-law. She dresses up like a prostitute and tricks her father-in-law to sleep with her, and she gets pregnant. That's messed up, right? That's the stuff that's going on in the Bible, that's in the Bible. Some of you are like, man, i got to read that more often. This is like Thursday nights on ABC. This is like <laughs> real deal stuff. And that son that was born to Tamar from her father-in-law was named Perez. Why is that in the Bible? Why in the midst of the Joseph story do we have this one chapter, just Judah and Tamar, this weird thing? Why would that be in there? Well, because that son, Perez, is in the lineage of Christ, that's the line that Jesus Christ came from. And when you read Matthew and read, like, you know, Jesus' father was Joseph and his father, all the way from like Abraham to Jesus, Perez is there. That was, the, that was the circumstance that God chose to bring about the Messiah through Judah and Tamar and that messed up situation. I read that and I was overwhelmed by this thought. You don't think God loves to redeem your stories? You don't think God loves to redeem those parts that you're ashamed of, those times when you've messed up? Look at Judah and Tamar. God redeemed that story, bringing about a son that would go on to be the heir of Christ or to bring the lineage of Christ. You don't think God loves to redeem our stories? In fact, I think the very thing that you are most ashamed of, that you are most embarrassed of, the biggest failure you've ever had, I think that's the thing that God's going to say, you know what, I'm bringing redemption and I'm bringing it right through that. that. That kind of black eye in the Old Testament, Judah and Tamar, you think this is embarrassing? I'm bringing redemption right through that part of your story. That part of your story that you are embarrassed by, that you are ashamed of, God's bringing redemption. This is what our God does with ordinary people who have messed up. He says, I'm bringing redemption right there. And through that, there's going to be life and forgiveness and wholeness and healing. That's what our God wants to do. This is what he does through ordinary people who are just simply willing to stay faithful to him. Amen. Yes, thank you, somebody. (laughs) This is good. God uses messed up people, messed up circumstances, and he simply wants us to stay faithful. So here today, as we wrap up, do you want to be used by God? Right? Does anyone want to be used by God? God, I want to be used by you. That's my cry. God, I want to be used by you. Do you want to see God's redemption story that we see throughout the pages of Scripture? Do we want to see that redemption story continue in us and through us? Do you want to see God's blessings not only impact you, but your family, your household, your place of business, your school? Do you want to see God bring redemption through you that will impact those around you, that will impact generations to come? Do you want to see God take that failure that you have that you're so ashamed of and turn it around for his glory? If we want that, we simply just say, God, we're open to you. We're open to you. Whatever the circumstance, we'll be faithful to you. 
God, whatever the circumstance, we're going to be faithful to you. Our choice is always to be faithful to you. In the victory times, in the difficult times, times when we're forgotten, Joseph spent two years in prison after somebody had said, I'm going to, as soon as I get out, I'm going to tell people about you. We'll get you out of here. Forgot about him. He spent two years in prison after that. There's times where we're accused, forgotten, mistreated. Our choice is to stay faithful. That's what God says. Just stay faithful to me, and I'm at work. And I'm going to orchestrate circumstances. And I'm going to bring about redemption. And I'm going to heal your hurt. And those things that you failed at, we're going to turn those around. This is what God does when we simply stay faithful to him. He will bring about our deliverance as we stay faithful to him. And that's what we're going to look at next week is the actual deliverance of, e of Israel out of Egypt. So let's bow our heads and pray today. Heavenly Father, we thank you that your story continues. This story that we read about, you and your people, redemption that you want to bring. I'm thankful that that story is continuing today. From Abraham to Isaac, Jacob and Joseph, to the nation of Israel, to King David and the other kings, Jesus Christ and the disciples, the early church, and now it's us. We're part of this story. And you bring about redemption. You continue to do that. We thank you for that you include us. Even when we fall short, when circumstances fail us, you include us in your redemption story. So today, Father, we open up our hearts and our hands to you and we just say we want you. We want everything you have for us. If you're sitting here today and you want that, you might even just want to lift up a hand to God and say, God, I want everything you have for me. I want to be used by you. I want to be faithful to you in every circumstance. I want you to bring about healing and hurt to that part of my story that I'm ashamed of. I want you to bring redemption through me that will impact others. I want everything you have for me. So I open up my heart and I simply just say, I will obey you. I will be faithful to you in every circumstance. We thank you for that, Lord. We thank you that you're doing that in our life. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen.